Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, first of all, did you hear the record button this morning? I heard it. Did I it? see it. We're actually recording. I hate that everybody missed you uh, predicting the uh, next 13 Heisman winners like you well, did yesterday. You predicted all 13 probably accurately. Some of those kids are like in the second grade and you're like, he's going to win the Heisman in 2032. And now that recording's lost. No one will ever hear it. But well, I, I, had like a, it. I had like a 30 minute sit down conversation with Nick Saban and pretty much he said, Clint, I'm going to reveal all the secrets, everything <laughs> behind the scenes to you. And you get to put it on this one podcast. And then I, I texted him after I said, Hey, it didn't record coach. You mind if we do it again? He said, Nope, that was your one shot. So you, you can never share that information with anybody. So I'm, I apologize <laughs> that we screwed that up. We would have broken the Tyler Steen news. We had that. Yep, we um, had. Every prediction possible, we were correct on it, and we talked about it on yesterday's podcast. And it's just we had the uh, 20, 2023 starting quarterback, uh, whether it's going to be Milrow or Ty Simpson, Nick Colas, and uh, yep, we you know what well, we we know exactly where Arch Manning is going, and we were revealed that too. Too bad that yeah. that's not going to be on there. We'll just let Arch go ahead, and I guess we had Arch you know, on the show. We yeah. had Arch on the show. He, he called in. It was pretty crazy, <laughs> but. <laughs> Oh man, this could be fun. I'm, 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 I will not make that mistake twice. I'll tell you that I made it once. Uh, if there's a, a reason, sometimes the internet connection kind of starts to fade and you, you have missing chunks of audio and you got to redo something. But as far as, and I hit that record button yesterday, by the way, I don't know what made it stop, but I, I hit it. So that will not be a mistake ever again, but today we're going to be talking about the offense for the second day in a row. It actually ended up working out Jimmy, uh, because yesterday we were kind of approaching things with Tyler Steen being an unknown. Now he's going to Alabama. We know he's going to Alabama. That completely changes the outlook of the offensive line, at least in my opinion. And I don't mean like he's so much better than anybody they had on the roster as right. far as left tackle options that he makes that big of a difference. I'm saying having a known commodity, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get now at left tackle instead of being uncertain about it that's where things are a little bit different and while we can have a completely different conversation today that you know for them we, we'll break down the quarterbacks and the running backs receivers you know every position group just like we did the defense yesterday but just when it comes to the offensive line that changes the the tyler steen addition changes things quite a bit so we'll go ahead and dive into the quarterbacks first or you know what if you want to you want to talk a little bit about tyler steen first and what just that yeah. commitment means to you in your opinion well, we, yeah, we'll just talk about Tyler and then start with the offensive line. Uh, Love it. You know, and and we're obviously never going to have a Stein on the team, so Steen might be as close as I get. So he's already one of my favorites. Yeah. Did I, did I say Stein? <laughs> no, you didn't, but I said, because uh, I've, I've, I've always wanted a, a Stein on the team. Closest I'm ever going to get is like Bad News Bears. Well, but, oh, yeah, well, Lamb's not exactly, you know, my only shot was CD. 
<laughs> that time is coming gone. Pretty good though. It's it pretty, is pretty good. good. I've seen it on an NFL jersey. I now know what it would have looked like what, what, had I made it to the NFL. <laughs> I just don't know what my name would have looked like on the back of an Alabama jersey. But you know what it would have looked like if you were a wide receiver for uh, for Dallas. For the Solid. Dallas Cowboys. My dad is yeah, a big Dallas Cowboys fan. I don't have an NFL team, but we now know. Your yep. cuz can play. Your cuz hey. can play. Hey, you know. Well, this is what Steen does to the offensive line for me, Clint. Um, I, I'm going to use the word solidifies because – it's not – I don't want people to get the wrong idea. He's not an Evan Neal replacement. It's not like, okay, Evan Neal out, Tyler Steen in, no problem. I mean, he's not going to be Evan Neal. Anybody that thinks that, that Alabama is going to get the exact same play out of the left tackle spot is dreaming. Uh, Tyler is a good, solid, proven SEC player, but Evan Neal is a top five pick in the NFL draft, and there is a difference. Uh, but – you know, last year, you know, it's not a secret or, or we're not being mean to say that Alabama struggled at right tackle. It was a struggle all season long. It was there was often a leak on that side of the line. Uh, I think by adding Tyler Steen, you sort of plugged the leak. Uh, now, I know it's on the other side, but with the Steen on the left side and an emerging J.C. Latham on the right side, I don't see either tackle spot as a weakness. Uh, is is it the asset that Evan Neal was a year ago? No, but it's no longer a weakness. And I think a chain is as strong as the weakest link, right? And 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 you know, I, I just don't see a weak link now. I I think it's kind of solid all the way across. And and that's why Tyler Steen was invaluable. That's why the staff worked so hard on him. Hey, and I, I'll promise you guys this. Uh, we had to recruit him hard. We had to convince him he is the starting left tackle at Alabama because if you're Tyler Steen and you're leaving Vanderbilt where you were a starter for three years, you're not going anywhere where you're not going to be the starter. He's not going to be a starter for three years and then agree to go sit on a bench just because that team is going to compete for championships. This kid wants to play in the NFL. So Alabama had to recruit Steen and overcome the idea that you know he, him and his family had that hey I don't know that I can start there you guys sign five stars every year um why do y'all think I can start there so I think a great job Alabama recruiting them here so what what the fans are going to see Saturday at a day is still a makeshift line it is not the line Clint that you uh expertly wrote about this morning on on three it's a great piece for everybody I'm ready yeah go go read Clint's projected starting offensive line piece now that Steen has been added uh, you won't see that Saturday at A-Day. Too many missing guys. Dalcourt out with injury. Emil Echior out with injury. Uh, James Brockermeyer out with injury. Uh, you know, you won't be seeing a lot of faces. Uh, so it's a makeshift group. It's They're going to struggle blocking Will and Dallas and Chris Braswell. Uh, don't panic based on what you see Saturday. That That won't be the offensive line that lines up against Utah State. And I also want to point out to people that it's kind of like situations, you know, a giant hall last year, there was some injuries to Alabama secondary. Not everybody was participating. Your first team guys on offense are now going against some, some second team guys who would typically be the second team. And then you've got, that means your second team guys are going against third team guys and beyond guys like a giant hall. So if you see any young pass rushers, not the big three, but any guys that are going, you know, second team versus second team, that second team offensive line is really not the true second team offensive line. Damian George would be on that group if Amelia Cure was healthy. 
you would have Darian Dalcourt at the very least with the second team offensive line. You'd have uh, Amari Kite. I, they might end up putting both of those two guys on the same team, Kendall Randolph and Amari Kite, and having them both work with the first team unit. I don't know how that'll look, but the point is, if you see any of those young pass rushers, Jeremiah Alexander or a, a Q Robinson or somebody like that, just dominating the guy lined up across from them, keep in mind, it's not the true second team offensive line. Not saying that that player, you can't be impressed with it. Just, you know, you need to have fully added context, right? Um, context. As, as far as Alabama's offensive line is concerned, we are both in agreement. Tyler Steen is more than likely going to be Alabama's starting left tackle. Does that mean that there is no scenario where Amari Kite or Kendall Randolph can't be Alabama's starting left tackle? No. In fact, they'll continue to compete. They'll have an opportunity to showcase how far they've come in Alabama's A-Day game this weekend. The competition, I wouldn't say, is finalized and over, but I also agree with you that there's this fine line. Tyler Steen didn't come to sit on the bench. And so even though a job has to be earned, Nick Saban doesn't hand out starting jobs. He did same thing with Eli Ricks. Eli Ricks didn't transfer from being a star player, one of the best players in LSU's defense, to sitting on Alabama's bench. That's not how it works. Not, I understand that if you have the opportunity to play and start, everybody probably wants to play at Alabama. But if you're not getting those opportunities, you would much rather be somewhere else, which is why you'll see some of these younger guys choose to transfer. But getting a guy like Tyler Steen, think about what it does to the depth and think about what it does to the starting unit. First of all, I agree with you, and we've talked about it before, Last year, there was a clear spot along Alabama's offensive front where you could say, that's where we're going to get them. That's where we're going to be able to generate consistent pressure on Bryce Young, and that was Alabama's right tackle spot. It was coming off the left side if you're on defense. A lot of teams exploited that, took advantage, whether it was Chris Owens, whether it was uh, you know Damian George. Either way, Alabama, you know, it was a swinging door, right? It was a revolving door at right tackle, but it was also a swinging door where – it didn't matter who was over there. You were going to be able to generate pressure. Having J.C. Latham as a more experienced player and having the kind of talent that he does, we think that that position is going to be elevated from a point of being extremely exploitable. Not saying the teams won't try to exploit it or might not see something on tape where they try to take advantage and that J.C. Latham's going to be an absolute rock. But you don't look at that and say that is where we're going to get him. You won't do that this year. At left tackle, there's a huge step down from Evan Neal the brick wall to Tyler Steen. I'm fully willing to admit that. But do you look at Tyler Steen, who's got you know multiple years of SEC starting experience and has been a very good player in the SEC, going against all these same players that he's going to be playing against at Alabama, and do you say that's where we're going to get him? That's a very exploitable piece. No. It's not saying that you're like, oh, we're, we're not going to test that guy. You know, that guy's going to have it locked down. Not saying that they won't try to exploit him. But you're not saying that's where we're going to get Alabama's offense right there. The same thing with the interior positions. All five positions, there's no place where you say that is the, the path to victory for us generating pressure on Bryce Young. That's where I think Alabama's offensive line can improve from last year because we both were in agreement when we talked about this before. Even if you had that one spot, if that one player, 80% of the time going against Alabama's right tackle last year, can generate pressure, Bryce Young's being pressured 80% of the time. Doesn't matter what, all, what the other four guys are doing. So I feel good about Alabama's offensive line. I think they got experience. I think they got talent. I think they have depth. Some of that depth might leave. You know, we don't know what's going to happen after the spring, but it is worth noting that the position as a whole looks a lot better. Now we'll talk more about Bryce Young and the quarterbacks now that we've gotten the offensive line knocked out. 
Jimmy, what were some of your thoughts on, you know, the scrimmage this past weekend, what we heard about Bryce Young and Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson? Anything stand out to you? Well, we know what we're getting in Bryce, I mean, which is a great thing. You know, quarterback is usually the focus of A-Day. All the fans, uh, you know, they want to see the quarterback first and foremost. And, and you know, Alabama, liter- literally this will be the first time in school history that fans can come to A-Day and watch the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback play football. Uh, that's amazing. But it also means that regardless of what happens with Bryce Saturday, it's not news. If Bryce goes, you know, 18 for 21, for, for 360 yards and five touchdowns. That's not news. If he goes two for 17 for eight yards and four interceptions, guess what? He's still going to be the starting quarterback versus Utah State. Uh, if, so if he plays poorly, doesn't matter. <laughs> Bryce is Alabama's starting quarterback this fall, and we know exactly how good he is uh, regardless of what happens Saturday. So to me, Bryce is a non-story other than you know, hey, everybody, for free of charge, come watch the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback play football. Not, not, not everybody has that at the spring game. Um, I think the real story is Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, uh, but really it's Milrow. Uh, the game is very likely, we don't know yet, but very likely to feature uh, Bryce Young playing with the first team. That's the white team. And Jalen Milrow being the quarterback of the Crimson team, that's the second team. And so it, it's, it's Young versus Milrow. That's the story. Is Mil- and it's Milrow, how will he do? Uh, I don't, myself, uh, I don't really, I'm not going to judge Milrow Saturday by his stats at all. I don't care uh, if he completes 50% of his passes, 75 or 33. Uh, I don't care if he's sacked a number of times because he's wearing a black jersey, so it's just, it's not even two-hand touch, it's one-hand touch, or I'm in the vicinity of you and they blow a whistle. Uh, So I don't care how many sacks or how many rushing yards in a black. I don't care about his numbers. What I want to see out of Milrow is high upside. I want to see flashes of, wow, that kid can be something else. Because we don't need him to be something else Saturday. We don't even really need him to be something else this fall pending Bryce's health. But I want to see Milrow flash high-end talent. and. I'm very confident we will see that. With Ty Simpson, again, my personal expectations are very low. He should be in the 12th grade. He should be at his prom this week. He should be finishing up his high school baseball season. He should be saying goodbye to his high school friends because he's a month away from going to college. Uh, I'm never going to judge a performance of a 12th grade quarterback on that field playing against uh, Alabama's premier talent. So. with Ty, I, I'm just glad to have him, and I'm sure the game's going to be moving too fast for him Saturday. That's normal. Uh, but but with Milrow, I think, Clint, we're going to be treated to something special, not special production, but special talent. Yeah, and we talked about this when we had this discussion yesterday that everybody unfortunately missed out on. <laughs> if I'm looking at Jalen Milrow, tomorrow or not tomorrow but this weekend during Alabama's A-Day game I'm not looking for a guy who completes 70 percent of his passes averages 10.2 yards per attempt throws three touchdowns and zero interceptions has you know 100 rushing yards first of all I want Alabama fans to be aware all this hype that you've been hearing about Jalen Milrow won't necessarily translate to 
incredible production in a setting like 8A provides. He's in a black non-contact jersey. If a defensive lineman gets two hands on him, he's he's considered down, he's considered sacked, just like Jalen Hurts back when he was quarterback at Alabama. Just because you get two hands on him doesn't automatically mean he's going to be down. He's a big, strong, powerful running quarterback, and so there are a lot of situations where maybe he could have escaped in a real live game situation and created something where he won't get that opportunity if it happens on a day, those are some of those incredible plays. You know, how did he escape that pressure? How was he able to still deliver a strike, keep his eyes downfield? Those are the kind of things that maybe you won't be able to see quite as well. A guy like Bryce Young, who can run the football, but he likes to more so operate from within the pocket and stay on where, you know, he's willing to get on the move. He's not willing to run. That's the kind of player that can kind of look good and excel in an eight day type of setting. Doesn't necessarily mean that he will. There's a lot of factors involved. This is still a practice scrimmage. I don't think Nick Saban's wanting to create negative storylines. And if Bryce Young performs, you know, statistically poorly, it could create some negative storylines. So I'm not saying that this will be the the point, but in the second scrimmage, all the quarterbacks were put in difficult situations. And they, you know, there were a lot of interceptions that were thrown. And that was by design. They wanted to put them in those, you know, got to drive the length of the field with, you know, a two-minute type of drill. And, you know, kind of like the end of the national championship game, Bryce Young ends up throwing the pick six. That secured the victory. Putting them in those kind of situations and saying, okay, how do you do? You know, thinking quick, being under pressure like that. And so you're going to see mistakes get made, but they're being made now. So the coaching staff can point and say, here's what you did wrong. And then by the time that happens in the fall where it actually matters, they're better prepared. What I want to see from Jalen Milrow is going through his progressions, throwing with anticipation, throwing guys open, rather than having to see it, see the guy come open and then delivering the football. I want him to anticipate, see if there's been any growth in that area. It doesn't mean he has to be perfect. It doesn't mean he has to be perfect going through his progressions, but just improvement, heading in the right direction in that area. And we also talked yesterday about how Jalen Hurts, it was a good thing for him and his development in some ways that he was kind of thrown to the fire early in his career. Because, you know, it allowed him to get real live in-game experience, but it also could teach him some bad habits. And the example I used yesterday when we were discussing this the first time around is I have a guitar sitting behind me. My brother's always played guitar, and I've just picked around. Finally ended up buying my own. Haven't gotten around to actually learning the instrument very well. But when I first, you know, just playing it over the years, what I figured out by not playing it correctly from the start, just learning how to play certain chords, certain parts of songs, I created a lot of bad habits and I now have to overcome those bad habits in order to get on the correct track to learn how to play guitar. Jalen hurts being thrown to the wolves because he was live fire. It's in it. It's in a game situation, figure out a way to get it done. He was thrown to the wolves to a point where he created a lot of bad habits that he still to this day in the NFL is having a hard time trying to overcome. The good part about Jalen Milrow not only sitting last year but potentially sitting this year is that it's two years in the program not being under that pressure of having to try to win football games, learning the right ways to do things, the right way to handle pressure, handle situations. Hopefully by the time he's competing for the starting quarterback job in 2023, he's much better prepared than a guy like Jalen Hurts was to be able to do things the correct way. But that's not a knock on Jalen Hurts. It's just a difference between the two. One got set, one got thrown out there early as far as Ty Simpson from what I've been hearing looks like a freshman that's to be expected you're 100% correct I think Nick Saban said recently that Ty Simpson's a really conscientious guy 
He's really trying to learn, but he needs to continue to get more and more opportunities in practice so that he can gain the confidence that he needs to be able to go out there and play at a high level. And that's exactly what they're going to be working on with him. He's not under any pressure right now to perform. It's learning to do it the correct way, learning the system, learning the speed of the game. I mean, even things like throwing to receivers. I understand that the guys that he's going to be throwing to on Saturday, they're bigger than his receivers were in high school. They're stronger. They're faster in every way, shape, or form. They're better pass-catching options. But one thing he doesn't have with the current crop of receivers that he had with his high school guys is chemistry. He had plenty of experience throwing to those guys, knowing how they run routes, knowing where they were going to be. So as they're developing and learning that, you know, building that relationship, there's going to be some growing pains. Don't freak out about it. Ty Simpson is still a very talented freshman quarterback, and I still think he will very much be in the competition along with Jalen Milrow in 2023. Moving on. I'll just just also say real quick, just to be bold, to make for fantastic, uh, fantastic audio here. Uh, I'll be bold to say that it, it's going to be hard for people to recall exactly. So maybe, maybe this is easy for me to say, cause people won't recall. I know Hertz has played, Hertz played and Milrow hasn't, but I think Jalen Milrow is better in his second spring than Hertz was in his second spring, even though Hertz had played a whole season and Milrow had that's how good I think Jalen Milrow is. And I say that as a fan of Hertz. I, I've always been a, I hate using the word Hertz defender because why would anybody not, not defend Jalen Hurts? But uh, I, I'm, I'm proud of what Jalen Hurts accomplished at Alabama. Uh, I, I think Milrow is ahead of where Hurts was. That, that's how talented this kid is, even without playing. And I think people will see that Saturday. Well, and you raise a good point. And think about this. Where do we see the most growth happen with Jalen Hurts? I would say uh, that year that he sat behind Tua. Bingo. He <laughs> took the entire year, and he didn't have the pressure of getting thrown out there and having to go against SEC defenses. And it's like, hey, we know we've been teaching you all this stuff in practice when you're wearing that nice, neat, black, non-contact jersey where no one can touch you. But now you got guys trying to chase you down. And if, you know, please don't screw up and lose us this football game. And – you trying to on the fly apply everything that you've been learning. It's like he would go through early in his career. He would be working on stuff in the off season, but think about that first game against Florida state, right? The, the following year after he started the entire season previous, he goes up there against Florida state had been working on, you know, working through his progressions and doing things the correct way. The offensive line in that game against Florida state did not help him out at all. It was a very poor performance from that group. He was under pressure the entire time, and he immediately regressed back to what he was comfortable doing when the lights were on. And so he never got an extended period of time. He got, you know, an offseason where it didn't really count, and then he would have between starts, you know, that week in practice where he's trying to work on this. But when things go live, it's very difficult. Once he finally was able to get an extended period of time behind the scenes developing – that's where you saw when he came in in the SEC championship game, that's where you saw how much he'd actually grown as a quarterback, a lot more exactly. comfortable, and he never looked back. So that's a fantastic – That wasn't a fluke performance. What he did against Georgia in the 2018 SEC championship game continued into what he did in 2019 at Oklahoma when he finished second in the Heisman. A hundred percent. We saw the Oklahoma Jalen Hurts at Alabama in the second half of that, that Georgia game. 
Absolutely. It wasn't that Georgia was not prepared for Jalen. Well, to some degree, I think they were because what they had prepared for back when the roles were reversed in the national championship game at the beginning of that year, at the beginning of 2018, that was a completely different Jalen Hurts than the one they got. So when he comes into the game, they're thinking, okay, we've watched film on this guy. He's limited in this way. This is how we're going to be able to exploit him. And he had just grown so much as a passer. They were floored and blown away that he had shown so much. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't in that coaching room or, or locker room. So I can't tell you definitively that's what was going through sure, their minds. But sure, that's right. Yeah, I'm sure that's correct. Cause I mean, he had, I was blown away. The, when he came into that game, I mean, I was on the sidelines for the last half of the fourth quarter of the, that SEC championship. And I was blown away at the kind of, you know, being able to see it up close and live, how much progress he had made. Right. And that's where I started realizing this guy, maybe, you know, I thought at one time he, he would probably have to move positions. This guy can play quarterback and he can maybe play quarterback in the NFL. And here we are. Now he's a starting quarterback in the NFL and, and successful in the sense that he was a starting quarterback. And now he gets a whole nother year as a starting quarterback. So that is some level of success. And, and the reason we keep harping on this is there is a clear comparison here. Milro is very similar to Hertz. And he's going to be very similar in in how Hertz developed. People don't need to, people are in such a rush to, to label someone forever. They want to know right now, what's his whole career going to look like? <laughs> Jalen Milrow is going to look pretty good Saturday, but he'll be better this fall and he'll damn sure be better in 2023. And, and as an example, look how Hertz progressed each year. And, and, and that's what people need to realize. So get excited about what Milrow flashes Saturday. He's far from a finished product. 100%. And really, I don't care what anybody says, there's not many places better for development, even at the quarterback position nowadays, than right there in Tuscaloosa. He is right. being groomed. We saw what he did with Mac Jones. We, you know, we've seen situations, you know, Tua got his feet wet as a true freshman, didn't really get pressed into action as far as, you know, with a game on the line until the national title game, the second half of the national title game, we saw how he that helped him and how he progressed and how special he ended up being. Bryce Young got a year to sit and learn behind Mac Jones before he was pressing action. It's a good thing that uh, Jalen Milrow is being given the opportunity to sit and learn not just one year, but two years. That could be okay. very beneficial for him. And who's coaching him? I mean, this is probably Bill O'Brien's last season in Tuscaloosa. Heck, I thought last season was his last season in Tuscaloosa, so who knows? But but Jalen Milrow being coached by the same guy that literally from the ground up built Deshaun Watson in the NFL is also invaluable because Milrow's skill set is I'm not comparing him to Watson. I'm just saying his skill set is similar. The highly athletic guy with a rocket arm. Uh, that's Milrow. That's Deshaun. And I, I think Milrow has to be counted as lucky stars every day that Bill O'Brien's his coach because the day Jalen Milrow committed to Alabama, that wasn't the case. Yeah, and I mean, the kind of progress that we saw from Deshaun Watson, he, he started off being a great player. Don't get me wrong. Oh, um, like he, came I, a, Houston, he came to Houston good. Obviously, he was a 12th pick in the draft or something. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying that the progress that we saw in college, you know, I want to oh, say even oh, as a oh, true sure. freshman, he had yeah. a very good, strong touchdown-interception ratio. He averaged over 10 yards per attempt as a freshman. It's not like this guy was not a good player. Um, he was pretty much a good – he was the entire time he was at Clemson. But 
we saw progress from an NFL perspective. We saw him have a lot of growth from going through his progressions, getting more comfortable, watching the speed of the game slow down. And he was pressing action a lot sooner than Jalen Milrow is going to be. He was going to have to be. But their careers on the NFL level could end up being very similar. We'll just have to wait and see. But, yeah, very exciting player. So is Ty Simpson. And Ty Simpson is just getting started in his development. Don't compare. You know, if you want to make a comparison, compare where Jalen Milrow was at last year at this time to where Ty Simpson is. And it's it's a lot closer than you would think. The, the gap might be big now, but give Ty Simpson a year when he's actually going to be competing for this job next year, more than likely. And I think you'll have a heck of a quarterback battle coming on. But moving to the running backs, first of all, Jameer Gibbs, obviously. You know, we saw the highlight of him, you know, in the open field. Very elusive player. Compared him yesterday to to Josh Jacobs. He's not as thickly built as Josh Jacobs. Doesn't have the same kind of power that Josh Jacobs brings to the table. When we were talking about him, I actually brought up Sean Payton's offense with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, you know, that a lot of times you end up having that big power back that, you know, your true running back is your number one. And then you bring in that change of pace, you know, pass catching running back in third down situations or in certain packages or certain situations. And you kind of have him be the complimentary piece under Sean Payton. The saints offense was really built around Alvin Kamara and his ability his ability to not only run off tackle, not really a power guy banging between the tackles, but, you know, getting him some carries, but like a lot of heavy usage in the passing game in some way, making that the short passing game, an extension of your run game. I think you might see a lot of that with, you know, Jameer Gibbs is going to catch a lot of balls, get him in the open field, allow him to make guys miss, puts a huge strain on defenses. You throw him a swing pass and defenses are just used to having to come up and try to make tackles. Then, you know, they, they're, they're too focused on that. You have somebody, you send them deep. You can now beat them over the top. That kind of thing is what Jameer Gibbs is going to bring to the table. Who ends up being the number two guy? You know, Trey Sanders has looked better than we thought that he was going to. Jamarian Miller is a guy who they've spoken very highly of this spring. Just what are your thoughts on all the running backs? It doesn't just have to be the three that are healthy. It can also be, you know, Jason McClellan, Roydell Williams. You can talk about Emmanuel Henderson if you want to. He's not on campus yet, but just what are your thoughts Right. on Alabama's running backs after uh, the scrimmage on Saturday? Well, you know, it all starts with Gibbs, and, and it's fun for me. I mean, can you imagine us being transported back to last spring's A-Day and then being told, hey, next spring uh, the running backs will be Jameer Gibbs? I'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty stunning, right? Uh, yeah. Gibbs has been a star player. He almost signed with Alabama, so I, I, I paid a lot of attention to his career at Georgia Tech. Um, and, and and was such a big fan, and he, he, he kind of felt like a big fish that got away, and, but he didn't because here he is, and he's going to be the first team running back. I don't know that he'll take the first snap with the first team Saturday. I suspect that will be Trey Sanders, uh, but Gibbs is going to be the primary back this fall. Uh, he will be fun to watch. It'll be different with him than it was with Brian and Najee, uh, B-Rob and Najee were power backs, big guys, tough to tackle, move the chains, first down after first down. Gibbs is a home run hitter. I mean, Gibbs is going to be big plays and sports center top 10 stuff and return kicks and, and uh, catch balls. And uh, I, I really can't wait to see it. Uh, Trey, uh, with him, it's just a matter of uh, inching towards uh, full health. Uh, I, I think his interview with the beat writers a couple of weeks ago was very illuminating and honest. 
uh, that uh, he, he has not um, made it all the way back yet. Uh, now he's playing, he's healthy enough to play, he's healthy enough to help us win football games, but he's not all the way back yet. Um, but, you know, he, he's the easiest guy to root for on the team because of that. Um, the guy I'm really excited about, though, is Jamarian Miller. Uh, I, I like Miller when we signed him uh, in this past class. Uh, I, I thought he was outstanding. But my, my, from what I hear, uh, the whispers uh, from, from the practice fields is uh, better than advertised. And that's saying a lot because he was advertised to be really good. Uh, he's better than that. Uh, I don't think his time will be this fall. Alabama's too crowded with veterans, uh, with Jameer Gibbs, with Trey Sanders, Jason Roydale coming off the knees. They're going to be ahead of Miller, too, because they played. Uh, but Jamarian Miller is going to be a big star at Alabama down the road, probably as soon as next season, 2023. Uh, I'm very excited. Much like Milrow, uh, I think fans Saturday should be like, looking for glimpses of, of Miller as like, whoa, in the future, we, we got a dude here. Yeah, and with the thing with Gibbs, and, and I do think it's like their, their second chance with Alvin Kamara. You know, he comes to Alabama, ends up transferring to Tennessee. Of course, Butch Jones did underutilize him, and now he's become a star in the NFL. That style of running back, I think Gibbs is very similar in a lot of ways to an Alvin Kamara. And so I think this is Alabama's second chance to really figure out a way to, to get that kind of talent on the field and utilize him. And Bill O'Brien, we talk about, you know, Jalen Milrow and the kind of similarities to Deshaun Watson early and how Bill O'Brien kind of was able to, to groom him in that way. If you recall, when Bill O'Brien first got to Houston as the Texans head coach, they had a guy by the name of Arian Foster, who was a great receiving back out of the backfield. Houston utilized him quite a bit. And then they went out and towards the end of his time with the Houston Texans, they go out and they get a guy by the name of David Johnson, who was with the Arizona Cardinals. Very good NFL running back, kind of fell off a cliff a little bit, but he was a great pass catching back out of the backfield. That's something that Bill O'Brien utilizes. He knows how to utilize it, and he loves having that being a part of the offense. We saw that quite a bit with uh, Jason McClellan before he got hurt. Brian Robinson's a good receiving back. I don't think he's a liability in that area, but Jace McClellan, that's probably one of his strong suits, and I do right. think you'll see him some of him as well, of course, but having a talent that can catch the football in the backfield like a Jameer Gibbs and be as electric and make guys miss, it's going to add a whole new element. Been extremely impressed, of course, with Trey Sanders as well, and the, the continued development working his way back from that injury great storyline before kind of thought that he was kind of an afterthought in my mind. I thought it would be Jameer Gibbs as your headliner, you know, getting a majority of the snaps and the majority of the touches. And then second line would probably be Jason McClellan once he was healthy. And then the number three probably be Roy Dell. Yeah, I think you have to rethink that with what some of these other guys are doing. And Trey Sanders is certainly one of those players. And the other one's Jamarian Miller. And I still don't think that he's going to get a whole lot of action as a freshman, but I don't think it's, be it's not because he's not ready. It's more so exactly. about the guys in front of him. Uh, he's exactly. a true three-down prospect. You know, he's good in pass protection for a young back, can make some improvements there, but I would fully expect him to make those. I don't think he's too far off. He shows a willingness to. Good receiver out of the backfield, runs hard, very powerful. I would compare him a lot more so to a Josh Jacobs or a Mark Ingram type. They can catch the football out of the backfield. They can make guys miss, but they can also be that bang between the tackles runner. Jamari Miller isn't currently as big 
as those two others, especially Josh Jacobs by the time he was, you know, a senior at Alabama or finishing up his career at Alabama, I guess. He was, you know, 215, 220. Miller's still quite a bit off from that, but I do think he eventually works his way to getting that big. Very similar skill set. So I like Alabama's group in general. Uh, they have five very good players. It doesn't mean that they'll hang on to all of them. Uh, I don't know if uh, Roy Dell Williams would be able to, if he would be willing to be Alabama's fourth running back or Trey Sanders or Jace McClellan. I think Jamarian Miller, he just got there. I think he's fully going to be around this year. Gibbs, I think, is going to be the headliner. So I don't think he's going anywhere, but there are a couple players. Some things can still happen. So I don't want to say, oh, the depth they have right now, they're definitely hanging on to all that. They would love to, and they very well might. It's just we don't know. Uh, moving on to the wide receivers, big question mark, man. It's one of the bigger question marks. You know, you replace your top three receivers from last year, don't have a ton of experience. Nick Saban instead, a couple of times this spring, the wide receivers continue to have way too many drops, and that's a concern for fans. Because of what we saw, we saw how drops matter, right? It, it really, in a lot of ways, lost Alabama the national championship. If guys secure the football and catch the footballs that they're supposed to catch, Alabama probably wins that football game. So, you know, when they hear drops are an issue, that's concerning for fans, I'm sure. So what are your thoughts on Alabama's receivers that they got coming back? Talk about Jermaine Burton, the new guy. Just what are your thoughts in general? Yeah, well, Saturday coming up with fans – First look at uh, at the wide receiver core. The story is Jermaine Burton. Uh, he's he will be the number one receiver Saturday with the first team. He'll be the number one receiver in the fall. It's the thing that's I don't know if alarming is the right word, Clint. Um, I think the thing that's a little disconcerting is that Alabama's recruited really well at wide receiver and recruit a lot of high profile wide receivers, but then had to go to the portal to get the number one receiver again, second year in a row that Alabama's had to go to the portal and, and can sort of be rescued at wide receiver. That's a little disconcerting or, or maybe even alarming, but doesn't matter how we got here. The only point is what does the Alabama wide receiver core look like? And thanks, thanks to Jermaine Burton, it looks pretty good. <laughs> Burton, uh, is easily the best receiver. Uh, if Alabama was playing Texas this weekend and not in an intra-squad game, Jermaine Burton would be uh, not, not only the first option on third and seven, he'd be the only option on third and seven. Uh, he's the most dependable, proven receiver they have. And I think people will be surprised at how talented he is. Uh, I, I, think, I think if your idea of Jermaine Burton is 20 catches and 490 yards at Georgia doesn't sound like much to me. Uh, that person is going to be shocked at how good Jermaine Burton is. If you're expecting Jamison Williams, the sequel, you're also going to be shocked in the other direction. He's not that he won't be uh, a guy that was going to be a top 10 pick in the draft before the knee injury. Um, but he's very good. He'll be number one. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of Trayshawn Holden, uh, partly because Holden will be a guy in the first team this fall. I think Holden will be in the first team rotation. But as far as A-Day goes, Clint, he's sort of replacing Ja'Cory Brooks. He's a similar player to Brooks, similar position. Brooks is out. So Holden is not only first team guy, he's sort of also replacing Ja'Cory Brooks. Uh, the last guy I'll talk about is, because I think he's going to show out Saturday's JoJo Earl. Uh, he's a guy that we all know because he played with the first team last year a lot. Uh, but he didn't have a lot of production. I, I think all the reasons for that are now out the window. I think this is now going to be a highly productive player 
and a bit of a playmaker, whereas Burton is the chain mover. JoJo's going to be a playmaker. Um, he is really good at sticking his foot in the ground and making something happen. And, uh, you know, he might have his drops. He's got to work on that. But uh, I, I think JoJo Earl will be maybe the most consistent playmaker of the uh, wide receiver group. Yeah, I mean, bottom line is Jermaine Burton is everything that Alabama wanted him to be when they recruited him. Uh, he's a guy that you can rely on for volume. He's going to be very heavily involved in the offense. He's going to be, he's probably been the most consistent option at wide receiver and will continue to be as quickly emerging as Bryce Young's favorite target. He can win at all three levels of the field. He can win vertically. We, we heard about the 97 yard touchdown. I think that Kyrie Jackson slipped on the play that created an opportunity for Burton. But at the same time, those are the kind of things that he can do against you. He's not the same vertical threat as a Jamison Williams, but I also think he's a lot more nuanced and, and can win more consistently, create more separation on the short to intermediate stuff than maybe a guy like Jamison Williams. Even though I think Williams is a little bit underrated in that area, I still think that's where Burton, that's a lot of what he was asked to do at Georgia, and that's a lot of where he thrived at Georgia. But he can also win vertically. Trayshawn Holden, I agree with you. He's kind of a placeholder in the starting lineup, in my opinion, to uh, Ja'Cory Brooks. I don't think Brooks will be handed the job when he gets back. But I do think that while there are some similarities between him and Holden, I think that the ceiling with Brooks is a lot higher. I think everything that Holden does, Ja'Cory Brooks can do a little bit more, and I think he can do all of that a little bit better. And we saw him come up in big moments last year. The good news is that Ja'Cory Brooks in most situations, after what happened last year and the losses Alabama had, he would have been asked to be the number one receiver. Would he have been ready for that? I don't know. He was still young. He kind of was asked to play in that role in the national title game. Like a lot of the young receivers, you know, we had a decent game, but there were a lot of moments I'm sure he wants to have back. The good news is, is now that Alabama has access to the transfer portal, you can move, go in and pursue a guy like Jermaine Burton, move a guy like Corey Brooks to your number two hole, and he is going to be a lot more comfortable in that because opposing defenses are having to give a lot of the attention to Jermaine Burton. And I think that will help him succeed. But we've seen him play at a high level. We have seen him come up in big moments. And I think he'll continue to be able to do that once he gets back on the field. But Treshawn Holden, a good, reliable target. I've heard he's had a little bit of struggles with drops this spring. But, you know, a, a, one of the bigger receivers, very physical. He's not a guy that's going to be able to create separation through his route running. He's going to have to play through contact a lot because he's not going to be separating himself self from defensive backs to the point where he's wide open and can catch easy ones. But, you know, there's a lot of pass catchers who can do that and that you typically have to be those bigger body guys. Jojo Earl, great athlete, very explosive player. I have heard another one where drops have kind of become an issue. We saw that a little bit last year. Got to get that cleaned up. But when he catches the football and he brings it in, he is a threat to create a, a big play at any moment. Didn't hear a lot about Aaron Anderson after the second scrimmage. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Just didn't do anything that stood out. It's going to happen. Not a big concern. But Alabama has even losing a Jai Hall. There's nothing to be concerned about with that. Still think they got, you know, at least four or five players who are going to be contributors. Could end up adding another one to the transfer portal. Could end up, you know, getting Isaiah Bond or Kobe Prentice. Maybe one of those two guys, depending on what happens with them. And they can end up being a contributor at some point next season to the rotation. 
don't think wide receiver is a huge concern right now. If I was a fan, it's not great hearing about all these drops, but they're working some things out. And, you know, we have to remember with this group, there's not a whole lot of experience. This is new to a lot of these guys. Nine of the 11 receivers currently on the roster were not on the roster in 2020, just two years ago. Wow. That's, that awesome. is, that's, a, that's a great stat. I mean, not it's a great factoid. I wouldn't necessarily say it's great for the team. <laughs> yeah, it, but that kind of just points yeah. to the lack of experience, and they're getting that right now. And in a lot of years, not having Jermaine Burton would have been, I wouldn't say a problem. And they've had these you know, similar problems in years past, and they've figured it out but they just don't have to bank on some of those young guys developing that you're kind of unsure of. You get to bring in an experienced player like Burton. He takes over that role, and now you're set and you're fine. They did the same thing last year. Had a guy that they felt like could end up being the number one. He ended up being kind of a 1B in John Mechie. That would have been fine, but if you can go out and get a guy like Jamison Williams to come in, and I don't think that they were expecting quite what they got from him, but they were expecting him to be a starter and to add an element to the offense. When you can do that in the transfer portal, you're always going to be in good shape. You don't have as many holes or uncertainties, which is very similar to the situation with uh, with Tyler Steen on the offensive line. It's not that Alabama wouldn't have been fine. It's that it's one less uncertainty, one less question mark. So the tight end position, the final position we're going to be talking about, what are your thoughts on those guys? Well, there's only three of them right now uh, this spring because uh, there's five on scholarship and two won't arrive till this summer. So Cameron Latu, Robbie Oos, and uh, Elijah Brown are the scholarship tight ends this weekend. We know what we got in Latu. Again, solid, I think, is a better word for him than spectacular. Uh, we know what we're getting. It's not a surprise. Nothing he, do, he does Saturday will be a surprise. And it won't be a surprise to see him catch a bunch of balls Saturday. I think Bryce Young has shown he has a lot of confidence in Latu. He throws it to him a lot, especially in the red zone. Who's going to be surprised if the first touchdown is a throw from Bryce to Cameron Latu wouldn't be surprising at all. What uh, if, if I'm excited about the tight end group for now, it, it's Robbie Oose. Uh, we haven't really had a, a guy that I would call a block first tight end in a, a while. Uh, or maybe, maybe, maybe Hale Hinchis might have been the last one that was like a real quality blocker. Uh, and, and what makes Oose exciting is. Uh, don't undersell his athleticism. Don't don't think he's O.J. Howard or Jaleel Billingsley or even Amari Nablack. He's not going to be that type of receiver. But what what he is is very capable. And and teams that don't bother to really defend him will get burnt. Uh, he, he he can really catch it. Uh, probably not much of a run after the catch guy. But 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 he has dependable hands. But but he pound for pound, this is a good blocker. So you know, blocking tight ends don't really move the needle. And so far as fans watching games, uh, they just move the needle for coaches because they know without a tight end out there blocking, uh, the offense just isn't going to work. So uh, uh, Oost is a good player. Uh, I, I hope people are not unexcited about him just simply because he's not a pass catcher. The pass catcher will show up this summer in Amari Nablack. And, uh, and Clint and I all summer will look forward to talking about what that might look like and, and, and whether Nablack will actually have a role with the team this fall is very interesting. But for right now, for Saturday, for A-Day, it's uh, Latu with the ones and probably Oos with the twos. And, uh, and then we'll see Elijah Brown maybe in the second half. Right. And that's what Nick Saban has said, is that at tight end, really, it's an area that Alabama needs to add more bodies. And those bodies are going to be arriving in the summer. 
Uh, you're going to get Amari Nablack, who's kind of that move tight end, more of a wide receiver tight end hybrid, a Kyle Pitts type of player. And then you got Danny Lewis, who's a big body guy, more of an inline player, can be more of that blocker. But you're adding two more bodies, and I think that's really going to help. Now, when he first made that comment, my mind immediately went to a guy like Baylor Cup, the transfer tight end who just entered the transfer portal for for Texas A&M. And I thought, well, I wonder if they'd be willing to go after a guy like that. And then very quickly corrected myself because I realized, well, I mean, he's more of a balanced guy. He was the number one tight end coming out of high school, very talented player, thought they were going to, you know, A&M thought they were going to have a one-two punch with him and Jalen Watermeyer. They were really going to cause opposing you know, defense is problems, but he really struggled. Cup did to stay healthy. And, you know, he just, he was ready to move on somewhere else. Just the fact that he is a balanced player, that's kind of what they have in Camarilla too. He's a good blocker. I don't, wouldn't say he's an elite blocker, but he's a good blocker who continues to show improvement in that area. And then you got Robbie Utes, who's predominantly a blocker. So if you had a guy like Baylor Cup on the roster, you wouldn't use him from a blocking sense. And while he's a great receiving tight end, He's not really that move guy. You know, he's more of a a guy that you want to have in line because of his balance. And but bottom line is, I think that Oots is probably going to be the number two. I think, you know, Latou is going to continue to act as the number one. I don't think Baylor Cup showing up to be the number three. Uh, if right. he's wanting to transfer somewhere else besides Texas A&M, it's because he wasn't working his way up the depth charge to the degree that he wants. And he wants that opportunity. And so I quickly got off of that and thought, no, it's, I think they're going to have enough and something else we need to talk about. Well, first of all, Jaleel Billingsley, transfer portal. Caden Clark, transfer portal. Major Tennyson, graduated. Kendall Randolph, playing a different position. That's four tight ends from last year that are either playing another position or they're gone for one reason or, or another. That's something to keep in mind. When you lose that kind of talent and you have two of your three tight ends that you're bringing in, not enrolling early, that's going to create a shortage in the spring. That doesn't necessarily mean that shortage will continue heading into the summer and heading into the fall. But my question to you very quickly, and then we got to get out of here, do you think it's possible that with the news of Tyler Steen, I'm sure they'll continue to let Kendall Randolph compete for the starting job. They're not just going to hand it over immediately. But do you think a move back to tight end is inevitable for a guy like Kendall Randolph? Uh, probably. Probably. I mean, if you're Kendall and you want to play, right? I mean, Alabama does not rotate on the offensive line. They do not. If people are like, oh, well, this year they will. I mean, he hasn't done it in 15 years. I don't know why anybody would even think that would even remotely be something that happens. I mean, he goes with five offensive linemen and barring injury, those are the five that play. And if Kendall Randolph is not going to be a first team offensive lineman and with adding Tyler Steen, I don't see a spot that Randolph can win myself. That's my opinion. Uh, but if he's not going to be a first-team offensive lineman, I'm sure he'd like to play. And uh, the route to play in the games for him is as an extra blocking tight end. And frankly, he's done really well in that role. And I'm sure the coaches and fans are really glad that he's still there to do it. Yeah, and, and that's kind of – I've gone back and forth because I do think they really like Robbie Utes in that role, Right. If right. he can be that blocker, but also you don't have to, you know, limit what you have on the field as far as from a pass catching sense. Like when Kendall Randolph's out there, there's virtually zero threat of him catching passes. If Robbie Hughes can provide 80%, 85% of what Kendall Randolph can as a blocker, and I don't necessarily know that's the split. That's just a, you know, hypothetical throwing out a number. But if he can do that, but he adds, you know, 60 or 70% more as a pass catcher, that makes Alabama's offense all the more dangerous. So I wonder 
you know, but at the same time, if you move Kendall Randolph back to tight end, that's the role where he served as kind of the number two, the big blocking tight end. Do you move him there and then make him the number three and kind of demote him a little bit? So I don't know what they're going to do with him because it's kind of a seniority thing. You want to respect him. He came back for another season when he didn't have to, could have transferred elsewhere. I have no idea what his role will be. I'm sure Alabama will find something for him. He seems like a team first guy. Nick Saban loves his attitude. He's talked about that this spring. So I don't want to completely, you know, say, oh, that's 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 a potential problem that's coming. It's just something that I wanted to point out because these are thoughts that I have in my head. Like, I wonder where he does end up and what his role will, will right. actually be. And do they want him in that same role as he was last year? Do they think Roots is a better option for that? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But Jimmy, as always. I appreciate you hopping on here with me. we got player interviews coming up here in just a couple minutes, but this was so much fun. Second time we've done it, but we at least got to switch (laughs) things up a little bit, uh, talking a little bit more about Tyler Steen. So, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. Looking forward to uh, wrapping up A-Day next week. We'll have a lot to talk about after everybody gets to see all these kids, and uh, and we'll do a couple shows next week. We will certainly do a couple shows, and we will be breaking it down in every way possible. I'll be going back and watching the film several times we'll have we'll have every aspect covered so if you got any questions send them over i think we're going to be doing a mailbag uh tomorrow or thursday and so getting kind of questions that you have over to us to either jimmy or myself and we'll get those answered so once again this has been the bam on three show and i'm your host clint lamb with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.